Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, North Street. I'm gonna parade this. Eagle Eyes on Tech High, Amigo Falcon. This was a very interesting week. Not gonna lie. We're starting to finally reach the end of the year. A lot of the biggest trends of the year start showing up, but they're not all out yet. And I'd rather save all of those sort of stories for the actual end of the year so I can cover them all at once. But there's a lot of announcements that just seem to have just sideswiped us out of nowhere. But first I want to talk about Google and Amazon not wanting to play with each other. And I'm not sure who did it first. I don't think anyone knows who did it first. But Google is blocking Amazon devices from accessing YouTube. Which could be the second most dickish move that Google has done in recent history. More on what the most dickish move that Google's done recently in a bit. But for now, we're just going to talk about how uh, Google's just blocking YouTube on Amazon devices. You know, those nice cheap tablets. Not being able to watch YouTube videos on it? That's a problem, isn't it? In addition, uh, Amazon Prime is being refused to go over Google Cast or Chromecast or anything of the sort. Now... History would say that more than likely Amazon started this fight. Just because... Historically, Amazon only wants their content to broadcast over their stuff. Which was a concern when Amazon bought Twitch. But fortunately, we haven't seen any of those sort of Amazon Monopoly-esque moves... With Twitch. Yet. And before you start bringing up the affiliate program. That's just mirroring the Twitch partnership program. Which Twitch did before Amazon bought them. That's not really an Amazon-like move. That's just Twitch continuing to be Twitch. But I digress. The fact that... Google is... Playing the same dirty fighting back at Amazon, though, is just as bad as Amazon, who I suspect started this. I don't know who started this fight. I just know it's going to get really annoying really quickly. Especially since Amazon and Google, as far as the entertainment business goes, they have the cheapest devices. The Amazon Fire Tablet is hands down the most cost-effective tablet, without question. 
the Google Chromecast is hands down the most cost-effective solution to getting digital content on a non-smart TV. The fact that those two don't want to want to cooperate isn't helping anyone. It's actually hurting the cost-conscious consumer. I mean, if you have Amazon Prime and you want to watch video and you're doing it with a Chromecast, you're SOL. Because of this fighting. So, as a podcaster with a small audience and there being a 0% chance that either Google or Amazon will listen to me, despite the fact that I have a working contract with Amazon... I'm just going to simply say, please stop. No, I'm never going to be listened to. And then move on. Grim in the chat says, just get a fire stick. The problem is then, is that the fire stick, if this feud keeps continuing, you can't watch YouTube on it. You see where the problem starts going? And and YouTube is, as much as I hate to say it, is probably one of the biggest sources of video content. But more on that later. Let's instead talk about another, let's talk about the first of the two big announcements that seem to have hit us like a truck from the side out of nowhere, being... The fact that Valve, once again, cannot count to three. But more importantly, they are making a portal bridge construction simulator. Yes, using the Portal 2 engine, there is going to be very soon... They're saying, I believe, what what is it, December 20th this is coming out? Yeah, it looks like December 20th is when this is coming out. There's going to be a bridge simulator using portals. I mean, on one hand, yay. But here's something that's more important. This might be the first actual Valve game that's come out in a long, long time. For several years now, there's been minor updates to various Valve games. But for the most part, Valve has been focusing on Steam and being a distributor of other people's games. Now, unfortunately, it's not Portal 3. I would love to see a Portal 3. But, I I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know when Portal 3 is going to come out. I don't know when Half-Life 3 is going to come out. I don't know when Half-Life 2 Episode 3 is going to come out. 
I wish all of those things would come out. But this is at least a good sign that Valve still has people that are making games. That, I think, is the bigger news here. Than the fact there's going to be a bridge simulator. Yeah, it'll be kind of cool. But... The fact that there's a game, much bigger news. Now, let's go with the next story. The crazier announcement today. And by today, I mean this was announced two days ago and we're going to talk about today. From out of nowhere, underline nowhere, NVIDIA announces a new graphic card, the Titan V. The Titan V is a new graphic card from NVIDIA. It now takes the crown for most powerful GPU in the gaming market. But here's the most important thing. It's based on the new architecture. The V in Titan V stands for Volta, which is the new GPU architecture. So, all of you who just asked for GTX 1070s, 1080s, 1060s, or even 1050s on your Christmas list, I got bad news for you. The GTX 11s are coming out soon. Very soon. Historically what happens is that the moment a new GPU, unless you're AMD, if you're NVIDIA though, the moment a new graphic card comes out with a new architecture, that is the sign that the remaining cards that fill up the various slots for GPU strength will be coming out soon on the new architecture. The GTX 1150s, 1160s, 1170s, 1180s. Over the next many months, we're going to start seeing them. And if I was to predict... uh, Let's see here. The fact that NVIDIA started with the Titan card... Means that they have the big GPU done first. So more than likely, we're going to see... A GTX 1080 and 1070, or not 10, I mean, I'm sorry, a GTX 1180 and 1170, I'll say late January, I'll predict. Followed by the 1060 mid-February, and then 1050 in mid, in early March. That seems about right. And then various like 1080 TIs and 1070 TIs coming and 1060 TIs. 
all coming out according to how AMD responds to the Titan V. And I can't even pretend that I know how AMD is going to respond. I have no earthly idea. I can kind of predict NVIDIA. They stick to a scheme. They always make sure that their latest stuff is the latest architecture. Sometimes they do a refresh of a current existing architecture. But they're upfront about it. AMD, though? They don't care. <laughs> They'll just do whatever they want. They'll just make them a GPU and throw whatever name they want on it. Now, we don't have the benchmarks yet. I have no idea, and I don't think anyone has any idea yet, how much more performance the Titan V is going to be compared to... What was the previous Titan? The Titan XP? Or Titan P? Something like that. We're probably not going to have a good idea of how much more of an improvement Volta is to Pascal, which is the current architecture, until probably around the time the, t the 1180 comes out, to be perfectly honest. Because just look at these specs... This GPU is a monster. 5,120 CUDA cores, single precision, 6 GPU clusters, 80 streaming multiprocessors, a or a 1,200 MHz base clock, 1,455 MHz boost clock. What's the GRAM on this? 12 gigabytes. Of HBM2 VRAM. Not GDDR5, HBM. This is the first card to show HBM from NVIDIA, I think, actually. Don't quote me on that, actually, now that I think about it. I think Titan P might have HBM, now that I think about it. But you're talking about a 21 billion transistor card. Compared to the Titan P, or is it Titan XP? Titan P specs. Let me actually take a look at this real quick. Do 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 do. Twelve giga gigabytes G five X. Oh no, that's the frame buffer. Never mind. You're the pull specs. Don't don't give me these buzzword specs. I want to see the real ones. Yeah, 12 gigabytes GD, GDDR5X. So it's not even HBM RAM yet. Yeah, the CUDA core is on the XP on the XP 3840. The new Titan has 1,300 more CUDA cores. The previous generation Titan XP isn't even in the same class as the Titan V. 
So yeah. A lot more horsepower. There's just one problem with the Titan V. Just one. Just just one problem. And I'm pretty sure you already know what the problem is. Yeah, see, I, I, I can hear you thinking it loudly. Yeah, it's the cost. This is a $3,000 card. Ouch. Uh, so, the 0.1% will go get this card, or uh, Game Studios, and that's about it, who are going to be after the Titan V. But... Not gonna lie, it's a pretty card. It's the same sort of almost Batmobile design as the previous Titan card and as the 1080s of the last generation with the very angular and kind of triangle shapes all over the edges. The only difference is that instead of the silver, this is gold and black. It looks gorgeous. Damn shame it's $3,000 though. By the way, not real gold, just painted gold. It's pretty obvious. Though for that price, it should be gold. Alright. Moving on. To... The most interesting story of the week. I'm not going to lie. I let Bitcoins fall off my radar quite a bit. I mean, cryptocurrency is kind of one of those things where it's really hot right now. But at the same time, you wonder when there's just going to be a huge sell-off and cause the price to crash. Or when there's going to be a huge move like the hacking of Mt. Gox that crashed the price of Bitcoin after it broke 1000 a couple years ago all the way down to $400. Well, another Bitcoin repository, another Bitcoin bank called NiceHash was hacked and 66 million, million dollars worth of Bitcoins were stolen. So, if you're a skeptic like me, and you find out, oh, hey, look, a whole bunch of virtual currency got hacked. It only took us way too long than we expected for that to happen. Does that mean the price of Bitcoin finally corrected, seeing as how there is still literally nothing backing up the made-up currency of Bitcoin? At the time of the hack, Bitcoin was worth... $14,000. $14,000! 
from a currency that's worth nothing. There's nothing backing this thing up. There is no anything guaranteeing the price of Bitcoin. But people are still shelling out $14,000 for a coin. That caught me off guard because the last time I looked at it, it was three grand, which even I thought that's insane. There's no way it's going to go higher. Well, look at that. It's at $14,000. All right, so $16 million worth of Bitcoin hacked. Thus, once again, proving that this currency is even less secure than a wallet on you. So that must have did something to the price, right? At the time of this recording, according to Google, who uses whatever the heck they use to bring this information up, they're not actually showing us. Currently, Google's calculator for how much one Bitcoin is worth as of, let me actually refresh this real quick. Okay, it dropped actually just a little bit. One Bitcoin as of 1.32 p.m. Central Time. The time of this recording on Saturday, December 9th, is $14,730 according to Google. Now... Again, I am a major skeptic. I am extremely skeptical of this. My only regret was that I wasn't stupid way back in 2013 and spent a dollar on 100 bitcoins. Because if I did that, I'd be making it rain. But back then, I felt it was moronic to invest into what seemed like a 4chan libertarian's Ponzi scheme. And the fact that there is literally nothing backing up this currency means that it can crash at any moment. That's not just me being uh, a negative Nancy. That's reality. The only thing keeping this currency, that's keeping Bitcoin alive, is everyone else thinking that it's a worthwhile currency. The second biggest currency being Ethereum which is like Bitcoin, is also $468 per coin. That currency actually is mineable, whereas Bitcoin basically isn't anymore. But even then, even a guy like me, who knows a lot about this stuff, is still reluctant to either buy any of these cryptocurrencies or even buying the gear to mine this currency.
I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen with this stuff. All I know is that I definitely wouldn't get into this. Not at all. Not one bit. Alright, before we move on to the last burb, I just want to let you guys know that EagleEyes.Tech is still live. You can go go there and find all the latest news on Eagle Eyes on Tech, and it's a wonderfully laid out site just to keep tabs on this podcast, alright? Just want to get that out of the way. Next, let's just go to the final, to the last burb, the last story of the day. And that is the other bit of a bad apple on YouTube's part. Oh, I actually forgot one thing. Back on the Bitcoin thing, Steam has stopped taking Bitcoin to buy games. That was one thing I actually did find out very quickly about... uh, that was one thing one thing during my research I, I saw that Steam said they, they will no longer accept Bitcoin as a currency. And actually, real quick, while we're back on that topic, uh, Grim asks in the chat, uh, how do you mine a digital currency? Alright. How do you mine a digital currency? What you need is you need a fairly powerful computer. But not too powerful. It's kind of a weird thing. There's various programs that what they do is what's called, I'm trying to remember the exact terms. Basically what you're doing is that you're using a computer with a low-end CPU, but very high-end GPUs to solve mathematical equations. Once enough of them are solved, a block of the digital currency is unlocked and everyone involved in that block gets some of it. Like you, like Bitcoin, when Bitcoin mining was viable, would be 50 Bitcoins per block unlocked. And it would be split between everyone everyone doing that. So if you went and had like an 8 GPU rig that went and, went and over the course of a month unlocked your own block, you'd have 50 Bitcoins. Though now it takes much, 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 much longer. To unlock any Bitcoins. Normally thousands of people work to unlock a block. So like for example. I've actually thought about this quite a lot. If I were to get into it. You'd go get like. Like an Intel Celeron CPU. Something really low wattage. That doesn't consume a lot of power. And then you'd plug in a bunch of, what, what was the last GPU? I, I want to say it was the 1070 that was the most power efficient GPU hashing card. And you just leave it on. The, the key though is that you want to make sure your rig's as power efficient as possible. Because there's a good chance while you're mining for currency... You end up using so much power that the currency you unlock might not even pay for your power bill. So there's a lot of that to keep in mind. And if I was to do it, I would 
get like some what was the exact server I looked up? It was like a Dell R5500. That that could take like four GPUs inside it. And then I'd intentionally take one of the two CPUs out and have like a low wattage thing. And that, that would be like $800 for like a four GPU rig. And then just fill a rack with those. I have a 12U rack so I could fit six of those in my rack. And just have that running in another room. So it was something I thought about, but it's like, that's a lot of money to invest in something that's probably never going to pay for itself. But anyway, back to the last burb story. The YouTube creators being frustrated that their videos keep being demonetized. I talked about this briefly in the past, but at the time I was, I said, I don't know how bad this is. I don't know if it's a very minor thing or if it's something that is very widespread. Well, I've had some videos demonetized now on YouTube. And it is, once again, making me question the future of my own Eagle Falcon YouTube channel, which only recently just got its monetization privileges back. For a while, because I didn't have enough views on my little itty-bitty I'm-just-starting-off YouTube channel, I couldn't even monetize videos. Now, I applied for a repe- for an appeal on some of the on some of the videos. But here's what I got. Let's stream Day of the Tentacle finale was flagged as inappropriate. Danganronpa V3 Part 19 flagged as inappropriate. Eagle Eyes on Tech, Episode 93, The Tesla Semi is Finally Real, flagged as inappropriate, demonetized. Let's stream South Park, The Fractured But Whole finale... Not suitable for most advertisers. Demonetized. That one, I'm not surprised. I could totally see so I could totally see that being okay, yeah, that's a, that's a little risque. But all the other South Park videos I had, parts one, two, three, and four, all deemed fine. The Eagle Eyes on Tech. Vegas shooting video. The heartfelt me just going out and saying what I felt about that tragedy. Demonetized.
retroactively, let's stream Danganronpa 2 Part 8, demonetized. They're all at random. And as far as I can tell, there is no reason for any of this. None. But here's the part that kills me. Here's the best part that kills me. It would be one thing... If it was going out of its way to just being as cautious as it could to make sure that everything is kosher among all of YouTube. There's a live streaming channel that has been active for four months now that all it's doing is broadcasting all seasons of Rick and Morty Illegally, it's a pirating live stream, and it is still active and still taking in ad revenue. Not a thing has been done to it. It's still up there. I'm checking right now. Yep, still there. It's not only that, but the amount of ad revenue that is being given to content creators also seems to be going low, lower and lower. FilmCow, the creators of Charlie the Unicorn, has confirmed that one of his hour-long quote-unquote movies, Detective Heart of America, has only brought in just under $900 of ad revenue. But it costed him $25,000 to create that video. The only reason he is turning a profit on that is because that was kickstarted. And that video has millions of views. Millions. More and more of the various YouTube stars are going over to Twitch to live stream their content because the monetization is better than on YouTube. Just as a comparison. Grim also says I should should also mention that uh, Film Cow is also responsible for Llamas with Hats. That is correct. That Llamas with Hats is in fact his second most popular series. Might have surpassed. Maybe Llamas with Hats has surpassed Charlie Charlie the Unicorn. I know Charlie was like the first big one he was known for. Hmm. Regardless. Let's just compare the live streaming. Because YouTube 
recognizes Twitch as a threat. It's true. I mean, Twitch, hands down, live content, Twitch wins. And YouTube's doing everything in their power to emulate Twitch's monetization model. Emulating the subscribe features, the bits, they're doing all of that. The difference is that if you're a small-time creator and you're like, well, maybe I want to go live stream my stuff, where do I go? If you want to go to YouTube and you want to take advantage of some of these advanced monetization methods, you need 10,000 subscribers. On Twitch, that's equivalent of 10,000 followers. Admittedly, I'm a small streamer on Twitch. I, I only have 930. Which means if Twitch adopted the YouTube standard, I couldn't be making anything on Twitch. Twitch, to be a part of the affiliate program, which is what I'm in, you need 50 followers. That's equivalent to 50 subscribers in YouTube turns. An average of three concurrent viewers, which I easily meet. And at least, what is it, 30 hours of streaming content each month? Which, that's easy. Or maybe it's 8 hours a month. It's something really small and insignificant. Let me actually quickly take a look before I, like, spout nonsense. 8 hours in the last 30 days. Stream 7 unique days. Three average viewers in the last 30 days and reach 50 followers. There we go. But I think right now, the thing that is kind of stabbing in the eye of anyone who used to be a, who used to be a content creator for YouTube is this year's YouTube Rewind. I honestly do encourage you, if you have not seen it yet, go watch it. It is such a level of disappointment that it's not even funny. Especially when the first person you see, the first person you see in YouTube Rewind, the rewind of what makes up the YouTube culture. A celebration of all the creators that make YouTube happen. The first person you see... Is Stephen Colbert. How's that for a slap in the face to every single content creator 
that has worked their butt off to bring YouTube to the YouTube to the giant that it is today. That's sad. I don't care who you are. I don't even if you are one of the cartoonists that was featured at the very end. It is just a slap in the face. And, and yeah, Grimm makes a good point. It was bad this year because YouTube's getting worse and worse. It's true. But I don't think you could have put a worse fake smile on a bad year for YouTube. I don't think it's actually possible. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you, everyone who's listened listened to this podcast. And I do apologize for those listening live. I know we started way late. I promise to not be terrible and actually start on time next week. Take care. See you then Saturday, 12 o'clock Central Time. We're getting close to the end of the year. We have to go up with the predictions soon. Oh, boy. As one final note, uh, during the outro, uh, Grim in the chat commented that the Amateurs were the best part, though. They were. I'm not going to deny that. Which then just raises the question, why didn't they lead with that? Hmm. Really should have done that.